Welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Kinney, and here also joined by Spence Halford. What's happening, buddy? Man, we are making duck calls today. Yeah. And uh, if you can't tell in the background of this episode, you'll hear a little bit of CNC action, a little bit of, you know, some sprayers going in the background. But Air compressors, there's all kinds of things. Yeah, we are in the... Currently getting more finished. We're at the bar. We're, We're at the bar. At it. And you can hear we get a little a little yeah. echo going. So, listen, right. we uh, every day gets a little better and a little cooler. but um, It does get cooler every day. Literally. Or we get closer to cooler temperatures. Right. It has been so That's hot. That's right. But it's really cool to be in here right now. And so, like, right now yep. for – if you can picture it in your mind's eye, we're standing next to the uh, the fireplace yep. that's that's being finished, and we're at the bar, and we're kind of looking over the 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 main retail space of yep. the of the barn. That's right, and it looks sharp with that cypress. It's and, coming along, man. It's really coming along. We've we've got uh, a million things going, but the gun cabinets, uh, or what I'm calling the gun cabinets, are really going to end up being call cases, call cabinets, mm-hmm. but. The glass counter in front of where the guns will hang got delivered this morning. So we have couches, gun uh, gun racks. Uh, so we have couches, gun racks, and um, a bar. And all of those are. I mean, under, what else could you are, want? Are, are under our roof? Like <laughs> those were. Right. Those are. Those are. Monumental, yes, yeah, I, I monumental was, kind of milestones in this this as whole I, process. As I ordered some of these pieces, and as I, you know, as as Sean has built some of these pieces, because we didn't just buy everything. A lot of these pieces mm-hmm. have been built, but at every little step of the way, I've been like, oh man, this is not going to get delivered, or this is going to get stuck at a, you know, at a at a whatever, you know, at a at the train station. And I'm going to have to go try to find this, you know, right before the grand opening. Do, do so. you ever get a little fatigued with a milestone every week? No, like I feel like there's two no, or three I, like I, big milestones. I, like, there's no time the to get slab, fatigued, Rob. <laughs> we did the slab, and then the the room here is getting finished. But there's no time anyway. to get fatigued. I realized the other day that we're leaving for Canada mm. five days after the grand opening. Mm. So so between now and Canada, we've got to pack the trailer. That's about right. We've got to also oh just you know finish building a new call <laughs> and have it ready for That's the grand right. opening as well as like. Decorate the place, and mm-hmm. you know, and oh, by the way, let's drop three thousand miles. You know, so no biggie, no, no, no biggie. biggie. So, do I get tired of the milestones? No, <laughs> there's no time to get tired of the milestones. Cool. Um, I didn't know if you got that. What do they call that? Uh, oh gosh, PTSD. No museum oh. burnout. Like when you're in Europe and you like, how many cathedrals can you go to before you're like, all right, let's get lunch? You know huh. what I mean? It's like okay. you walk into them and it's this this big yeah. and beautiful, and you're like, I've seen so many of them, like. <laughs> I'm just overwhelmed by how overwhelming it is. I, maybe that happens at some point, but, but I'm not there. I can awesome. tell you that. I'm That's enjoying so cool. every moment of it. Well, um, for this episode, we have George Thompson from, yep. from Benelli joining us. Yep. If you want to. Fantastic guy, both professionally, personally. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't get George's job without being top-notch at He's probably top-notch at everything. He's probably a great, you know, four-square player as well as tic-tac-toe player. <laughs> he's a main pickleball uh, guy, yeah. I mean, he's got to have he, – He's in this episode, you're going to hear him talk about a bunch of different facets of his job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he probably doesn't adequately do a good enough job of bragging on himself. Yep. But, I mean, to be as thorough as he has to be and to function on various um, – levels of a life cycle you know yeah. like like a 
a new product, just a just an idea and a blank piece mm-hmm. of paper, or um, a product that's been out for 20 years that's and right. trying to make it better every year. To be able to function on all those different planes takes mm-hmm. a remarkable, um, you know, set of personal skills. Yeah, and <laughs> habits. And, and But, like, man, to, and it doesn't sound like he's just in at this really high level. Mm-hmm. Man, it sounds like he is in the details yeah. of all of it. Of all of it. And so it's pretty impressive. But, you know, learning some cool things about Benelli's process and their yep. R&D and their just drive to be excellent. Yeah, just for a teaser, just realize that George is currently working. Well, he just launched the 28-gauge. That's right. SBE3, which took five years, he mm-hmm. said. And he is also still working on refining the Benelli Nova pump from 1998. Like, let that just kind of sink in. I mean, he's got a product catalog that is extensive. And with every single, you know, iteration on that catalog, he says in this episode, he starts with a blank piece of paper. How do we make this better? Not just how do we take it and get it to next year, but, like, start from a blank piece of paper. And It's incredible. It's humbling, and it's also inspiring to think. For sure. How do we make a better duck call? How yep. do we make a better turkey call? Yep. How do we, yep. you know, do customer service better? How do we, how do we make our business better all yeah. the time? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 like I was telling, like I say at the end of the podcast here, Benelli's done that. I mean, they've genuinely their product has gotten better over the years, yep. and it's it's never been bad. Honestly, yep. I, I don't know. You never hear people say, "Oh, I got one; it was a lemon," or "I got one." Mm-hmm. You know, they're always top notch. And and they have continued to improve, and that's that's a remarkable combination of things for an organization of that size to keep in play over the years. That's right. Um, and here he gives us an hour of his time, and I feel like we've like delayed the <laughs> the building process of the SPE four. I'm like, you you only have five years, like go. <laughs> so yeah, no doubt. But um, anyway, I think y'all will really like this one. So yeah, and and uh, buy Benelli. Buy one from us. That's right, yeah. We're hoping to have a Benelli dealership solidified here shortly. Um, but listen carefully to what George has to say. And, um, you know, the thing that George did not say in this episode, but that it made me think all the time is that, um, you know, the old adage, you get what you, you know, you get what you pay for, or you pay for what you get, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of alternatives on the market that are cheaper or that are um, – or that are comparable, but have some other, you know, gadgety sort of a benefit. And I'm not trying to throw shade towards anybody, right. but I think one of the things I admire the most about Benelli is that they've been very consistent in their product development and their product um, continuity, you mm-hmm. know, through the years. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, that that costs. That, that's not free. That's <laughs> it's right. not cheap that's either. Right. And uh, what did? Devil and Hodge's daddy say, uh, "Oh dear, cool shit ain't cheap, and cheap shit ain't cool." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's right. That's, that's a fact. <laughs> that's, yeah, I can't I can't argue with that a bit. But no, I mean this is just a cool one, and I feel like there's a lot of things that you'll be able to apply. Like if you're a business owner, or if you're if you're an employee somewhere, yep. like man, don't settle. Yep. Push yourself. Yep. Keep so, pushing. This is a good one. Good episode. Please forgive the air compressors and the CNC machines. And the echo. Yeah, and th- those are like those are like <laughs> major milestones for us, so that That's they're right. not annoying. <laughs> That's right. You're a part of the process. That's too. right. So, all right, we'll get to it. Get up. Welcome, folks. Y'all, come on in and make yourself at home. 
This here, well, this is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Your home for all things Rolling Thunder. This episode is brought to you by Mossy Oak. Because everything is better in Bottomland. Kent Cartridge. Quality matters. Performance counts. Shen Gear. Waterfowl gear that is built better. And Benelli USA. Dominate the skies. Hey, George, it's Spence. How are you? I'm good, buddy. Good. I'm good. Good. Well, we're we're live, and um, I'm with. I've got my co-host Rob Kinney with me, and uh, we're hi, we're, Rob. Hey, George. We we really appreciate your time today. I'm sure there's absolutely nothing going on in August at <laughs> Nelly. <laughs> no, no, not a thing. Really slow. <laughs> well, for those uh, back home, George, you are uh, the lead product guy. Is that right? What's your official yeah, job the, title? Uh, director of product for Benelli USA. I, I handle the Benelli brand uh, personally, and uh, I've got a team of guys that handle our other brands. So when there's when there's new things that uh, Benelli launches, you're the guy that was working on them before they got launched. Is that is that right? That one of many, yeah. <laughs> Good deal. Well. Um, w- how has, I guess, is your new thing for this fall, the 28 gauge? Yeah, as, as it relates to, uh, the shotguns and waterfowl hunting, 28 gauges are, uh, our, our biggest thing for 2022. Uh, and, uh, man, it's getting a lot of attention. It's going really well for us. That's the number one question that I have gotten lately is, Hey, do y'all know where I can, do you know where I can get 28 gauge ammo? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure you got a magic answer for that, like where you can point everybody. Well, you know, the ammo has actually been a little bit easier to find than the gun pack here at the Blaze. Um, our, uh, our original target was to start, start shipping guns uh, out to our dealers in July. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had an early shipment that went out in uh, it was May or June. Um, and then it went kind of dry after that. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we didn't ship any in July, but August is looking really strong. Um, so not a lot of guns out there, um, but they should start hitting the shelves here in the next few weeks. Well, I say hitting the shelves. Most of these things are already pre-sold. Sure. So they've got, they've got names on them as soon as they roll into the dealership. But uh, on the ammo front, um, you know, there's a number of guys that are making three-inch waterfowl loads. Uh Boss is probably the easiest one for folks to get a hold of because you can just order it right online and uh, and have it shipped to your house unless you you know live in an unfriendly state. Um, and uh, and I've done that. I mean, heck, I bought some. Uh, I bought turkey loads for the twenty eight gauge right in prime turkey season. They they've been doing pretty good about keeping up on stock. Uh, awesome. Heavy shots also rolling out twenty uh, eight gauge waterfowl loads. Uh, those should be hitting dealers right now as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ethiopia has a number of loads out there. So yeah, um, some pretty good options. So I've never shot a 28-gauge. Why should I shoot a 28-gauge? What would I love about it? Well, there's a number of things. It, it kind of depends on who you are as a hunter. 
um, what, what, what's most striking to me is just the, the, the weight of the gun and the size of the gun. Um, cause it's, it weighs roughly five and a half pounds. Um, cause you know, it's a 28 scaled receiver. Um, and it's just like, it's like holding a magic wand out at the, at the dock, right? <laughs> That's exactly um, what I'm so like so fast. Um, and, and you know, when I, when I got hired many years ago, our, my boss at the time used to always say that he wants to carry a 20, but shoot a 12 gauge, basically inferring that the lighter the gun is, the better off, the, the more he likes it. And, uh, that's kind of always stuck with me. I'm kind of cut from the same cloth. Um, you know, I'm not recoil sensitive really. So even if it's a big 12 gauge, I prefer the lightest gun I can get my hands on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's one of the things that's most striking about this gun is that it's so light. It's so fast. It, it's so quick to get on your shoulder. Um, but you know, depending on who you are as a hunter, you can have different answers for this, right? right. It's, there's, there's a number of guys that have, are getting up there in age and, uh, and they just don't want to shoot bigger guns anymore. Right. They've, they've kind of gone through that cycle of their life and, and, uh, you know, those guys are probably also the guys that are going to have the birds dialed in a little better <laughs> and not need, not need to shoot 60 yard shots. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I think, uh, I think our duck hunters and, and go through kind of cycles right? When they, they first get into it, they get excited. They just want to kill everything. Right. And then maybe they mature a little bit and it's, it's more about getting a specific bird or, you know, maybe acquiring bands. Maybe they're one of those guys. Um, or just, and then drinking, it kind coffee, of more, just drinking coffee somewhere <laughs> where the phone's well, not ringing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's where it kind of morphs into, right. Where mm-hmm. it turns less away from, from shooting a bunch of birds to the experience, right? Sharing a blind with some good friends, cutting it up all morning, shooting a few ducks. And, you know, as you go through that cycle, you, you know, a smaller gun probably suits you really well. Um, and, uh, just, you know, so I think you got a number of things, right? I think it's a gun for a guy that's done everything and wants a new challenge. I think it's a gun, uh, for somebody that's tired of getting beat up from recoil, but still wants to be able to shoot ducks effectively. Um, I think it's for somebody like me that just likes really light and fast guns. Um, I think there's a number of guys out there, a number of people out there, um, that, that fit the bill really well for this. I mean, I didn't even mention, um, youth or, uh, or female, right? I mean, 28 gauge, I don't want to say it's recoil left, but Gosh, it doesn't have much recoil. That, the, um, the number one thing about recoil that I've been hearing just, you know, on the road and talking to, you know, consumers, I guess, just as we're doing our deal, is that I, I've talked to, I've heard from a bunch of people that shot the 28-gauge SBE3 at the Ducks Festival uh, in back in April, and I've literally had four or five different people say the exact same thing, that when you put the Tetris in your ear and you shot the 28-gauge, it was like a video game. Like, it literally didn't kick. It was like just point and (laughs) click. And I thought that was an interesting analogy that it didn't feel like shooting a gun, you know, like or what what you would have expected. Um, Yeah. And and I can – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, the 28's always – been known to pattern exceptionally well. Mm. And, uh, and that holds true on the three inch chamber. The guns throw a great pattern, very uniform, uh, cylinder type pattern. And, uh, and with this new ammo that's out, whether it's, you know, 
plated bismuth or TSS or whatever it may be. I mean, that stuff kills ducks, man. And, uh, you know, you take a, a good shooting gun that throws a good pattern and you use good ammo in it, you're not handicapping yourself using a 28 gauge. Mm-hmm. What is the typical load size that you're seeing uh, in waterfowl loads for a 28? Uh, it's usually usually around one and a 16, I think, is, is, is kind of the most common. I've seen some turkey loads uh, get a little hotter than that. Um, but I'm looking at all the heavy shot ammo right here. It's all one ounce load. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really the, similar uh, to a 20 gauge in terms of actual pellet count, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, in payload, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's what I meant by um, in, in payload. Sorry for the background noise. We are actually manufacturing duck calls here. <laughs> the machines are rolling Excellent. today. So um, I guess what I was getting at with my question about payload is that, um, you know, for the, for the guy that's counting pellets on a piece of paper, I mean, a 28-gauge at a one-ounce load, has the same number of pellets theoretically that a 20 gauge has with a one ounce payload. Is that, is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you are saying that right. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought. And that's, that's something that I didn't know, but going into, you know, reading y'all's marketing and kind of learned about the 28 gauge, I didn't realize that a guy could shoot a 28 gauge experience less recoil and still have, the same number of pellets in the shell. I guess I thought that a 28 gauge was closer to a 410, and mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of other people but, that think similar. You know, you Go know, ahead. it's all it's all kind of kind of relative, right? Because I mean, at the end of the day, if you wanted to to put a higher payload in a 20 gauge, you can. Mm-hmm. Whereas the 28 gauge, you know, one in a sixteenth is about where it maxes out. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it, it you know. The 28 gauge will cover you up to your kind of standard 20 gauge loads. If you need more than that, well, then you need a 20 gauge, right? Mm-hmm. And the 20 gauge will cover you up to like standard field loads in 12 gauge. And if that's not big enough for you, then you probably ought to buy a 12 gauge, right? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's all relative, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, from a recoil standpoint, um, do you think that people shoot better with less recoil? Generally speaking, yes, but I, I say that hesitantly because it it really all depends on the person. Like the average person, quite honestly, guys, is not a very good shotgun shooter. <laughs> um, so they're going to shoot better with less recoil, okay, right? Sure. Um, Just the anticipation. But of that. a more yeah, exactly. And and you know, a twelve gauge, you know, they're they're going to be flinching and they're going to be closing their eyes before they're squeezing the trigger on that thing. So they'll they'll certainly certainly shoot a twenty eight gauge better. But you know, a, a more experienced guy, um, a, 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 you know, let's just call him a semi professional shotgun shooter or a seasoned hunter. Um, I don't know that they're going to shoot it necessarily any better. They'll probably shoot it faster. Right, because they're they don't they'll get on target a lot faster. That's interesting. That's one of the things I was thinking. I was just being able to stay on target, mm-hmm. especially when they're uptight. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the first shot probably not a lot of difference, right? But your second and third, you'll get them all faster with less muzzle flip, right? You'll stay on target better. Mm-hmm. I definitely know. I, last year, I shot a twenty gauge all season, and I think I was the last duck hunter 
in the woods to stop shooting a 12 gauge, or at least I felt that way because everybody <laughs> I knew was shooting yellow shells long before me, and I was kind of committed to the red ones. But I was amazed at how much better I shot a 20 gauge, and I and I I, I thought it was recoil, but it might have just been the the amount of of movement in the gun and the ability to get back on you know the target faster. Um, yeah, there's there's something to that. I mean, I don't I I, I don't know if this is like can be proven by data or not, but I've seen a lot of birds drop on a second or third shot, like a higher ratio than they drop on the first shot. Like I don't have data to support that. It's just kind of my gut feeling. But like a lot of times people throw that gun up quick and they're not really on the bird on that first shot. But then by the time they let the second or third one go, they're, they're, they're swinging better and they're on it. Right. And I think that's easier with a gun that recoils left. Anecdotally, that is, you just described my hunting life. (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing this a long time, but I still take a better shot on the third shot than I do the first and the second. Yeah, I'm I'm guilty of (laughs) shooting amongst them the first shot and just going, I'm sure to hit something, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. when you're in them thick, that's really (laughs) tough, man. I mean, that's, that's a really hard discipline to get to get in greater head is to pick a bird and shoot that bird, right? Flock shooting is tough to, tough to get out of. I mean, if, until you just practice, 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 yeah. right? It, it does take a lot of focus to be able to pick one out and the one, not just one, but the one that is most killable for you, you know, especially when you're laying mm-hmm. in a line of other shooters or in a blind or something like that. I mean, that's, you know, the the kid in all of us just wants to pull up and shoot the first one in the bunch that's squared <laughs> up over the right. decoy. Oh, right. So. And I'm sure you guys have been in that spot where you do that and all three of you shoot the same bird. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> We've gotten better at it, but no doubt about it. Um, so from a, from a job standpoint, you know, your role at Benelli, talk about kind of the life cycle of – the 28 gauge or any other new product for that matter. Like what, what goes into the, you know, what, what are you doing before this product shows up uh, on the market and, and in dealers? Um, on sure. The- sure. I mean, so th- th- that, that process is slightly different depending on what type of product that we're talking about. Um, but one thing remains constant with all of that is that any any new product that we develop at Benelli starts with a blank piece of paper. And I I, want to explain what I mean by that, right? Because I mean, every single new product starts as a blank piece of paper. And, and that applies to, even if we're just adding a new camo, even if we're, you know, making a 20 gauge version, if we're making a new caliber of a rifle, right? Every one of them start at a blank piece of paper. It's not as simple as just saying, we'll take that one and make it camo. Um, that's just not our process. Um, and the reason that we do that is it gives us an opportunity to reevaluate every single part of the gun after it's launched, right? Because inevitably in manufacturing, you learn as you go, right? You, you do all the proper testing and analysis and, and quality controls before you launch, but there's always evolutions of product after they hit the market, right? Things that maybe you didn't think of, maybe there's a new technology, a new material, whatever. And uh, so everything starts as a blank piece of paper so that we can incorporate any product improvement 
that have been discovered since launch. Um, and a lot of folks kind of struggle when I tell them that because they, they hear it's just a new camo, just do a new camo. But that's how we ensure that every product that comes out of that factory is the absolute best product that we can make at that time. Um, is that we started that blank piece of paper. Now, you know, outside of that, obviously, we, we have a pretty good rhythm as it relates to semi-automatic shotguns. We can start a product from an idea roughly five years before it hits market, um, and uh, it moves along at a pretty good pace because we're dialed in on semi-auto shotguns. Stuff that's a little bit outside the wheelhouse, like over and under shotguns, like bolt-action rifles, those projects typically start seven to 10 years before we launch. Um, and again, they all kind of start as an idea. Um, I don't want to present myself and I will never try to present myself as an engineer. I'm not an engineer. Okay. Not even close. Um, what I do though, is I find the idea, right? I find the niche in the market. I find the need from our customers. Um, I figure out improvements on the current product. And I pitch those to the, to the team of engineers and they've got the responsibility of figuring out how to make my crazy ass ideas come to life. Um, and uh, it, it's why I said early on, right, there's a lot of people that have hands in this puddle. It's, it's a team effort. And, uh, you know, so we have an idea. We kick around uh, uh, some concepts some sketches, some feasibility studies to make sure that it's even achievable. We'll have a... Uh, kind of a project plan, if you want to call it that, approximately 18 months after the initial idea gets pitched. Um, assuming that that's acceptable, right? And, and there's things in that like estimated volume, estimated cost, um, you know, what are the basic specifications, that kind of stuff is in that. Um, if that's all copacetic, um, then about 8 to 12 months later, we'll have a hand-built prototype. Um, then we go through roughly six to 12 months of prototype refinement um, where they make dozens and dozens and dozens of, uh, of handmaids um, to get it dialed in just right, you know, get the cosmetics perfect, get the function perfect. Um, and then it actually gets turned loose to a pre-production run, which is when they upload all the software into the computer CNC machine. Um, and they, they do a, a, a pre-production run somewhere around 100 pieces usually to make sure everything transitions from the R&D lab to the factory floor seamlessly. Um, and then those guns are, uh, they're just beat to crap, right? They're tested to an end that I couldn't even, it would take an hour to explain all the testing that goes into those guns to make sure that they're perfect, right? And then after that, um, we, we go to full production roughly six months before we hit market, if all things are going well. And, um, and they start what they like to say that they clone guns. They don't manufacture, they clone because of the ability to hold the tightest tolerances in our industry. Literally every gun that comes off of that, uh, factory floor is exactly the same as the one before it and the one after it. So a hundred percent of the parts are completely interchangeable. Um, and, uh, that's one of the reasons that we've been able to develop this reputation of, of the, you know, best performing, most reliable guns out there is those quality controls that we have in place. Yeah, that's, 
We, we've got a couple of CNC machines that are running back there, and we're just trying to keep the holes the same, much less, you know. <laughs> so I can appreciate yeah. that tolerance level and uh, have experienced that quite a bit with your mm. products for sure. Were you going to well, say you know, the Benelli factory? The, I, I wish I could take everyone to see the Benelli factory because honestly, guys, it's a, it's my greatest selling tool. It is it is a completely robotic factory. Everything from bringing the the cart of raw material to the machine to finished parts pop out the other end of the line. It's I don't know if you guys have seen any of the videos of like Toyota manufacturing and they got these robot arms all over the place. That's kind of what it's like. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, every piece is uh, is uh, quality controlled um, through robotic uh, mm-hmm. sensors and 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 you know, I don't even, I don't even know the technical name of the machine, but they got needles that touch the part mm-hmm. in like a thousand different places to make sure it's within spec. Yep. All of that's done robotically. Um, obviously, once the parts come out the end of the machine, that's when the human part takes over, right? Um, because there's no robots that can do assembly and function checking and those and those sorts of things. Um, but you know, it is meticulously clean. Um, you can literally eat off the floor if you wanted to. Um, and it's kind of like a scene from the Jetsons, right? Because they got little robots like scooting all over the place, delivering materials to the other robots. It's like if Terminator comes through, we got some problems there. <laughs> well, uh, we've only got problems if we're not on their team. <laughs> That's right. Right. So it's a five-year-long process. That's amazing to me. But you made it sound like that's a hurry. Like, it's five years. It is. And it's a crowded, you know, time. There's a lot of stuff that, that, that is into that process. And five years is on, like, a semi-auto, right? Something we know really well. Um the you know we I, I know it's not really y'all y'all thing but bolt action rifles is our newest category that we've entered mm-hmm. uh, and we launched our lupo rifle about two years ago. Yeah, they're um, amazing. <laughs> Have you shot it, one? It, yeah. It's a really fine. It's a really fine rifle. You should check them out if yeah. you're interested. Yeah, it's but a, uh, that the, gun actually started 12 years before we launched. Gosh, they, Rob, I can attest their rifles are as much better than the competition as their shotguns are like it's it's thank you and it's it's a testament to the the length of time and the process and the effort that goes into it um i mean it's it's i don't know it's the best <laughs> i mean period yeah thank um, you i appreciate the compliment yeah no no and, problem uh, that's really just a fact one of the- more than it is a compliment but you're welcome <laughs> you know and one of the things that that we get kind of kind of beat up on here is that it does take us a while to expand with new products. And, and a, a great example is our 828 over and under shotgun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fantastic over and under shotgun, but that, that was a new area for us when we launched it in 2015. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, it's a, it's a very complicated gun to manufacture. Mm-hmm. It, it, I say that it's actually in comparison to up to other over and unders out in the market. It's an extremely simple method, mm-hmm. but the number of parts that are involved is much higher than on a semi-auto or a bolt sure. action rifle. Yeah. So it's, it's more complicated to, to manufacture and to main, and again, keep at our quality standards. And so we've been really slow to expand that gun. Uh, it took us four and a half years before we even came out with a 20 gauge version. 
and that's kind of where we're sitting right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's, that's slow intentionally. Like I understand people 28 gauges. I understand they want sporting versions and they want all this different stuff. I want to get that stuff to them and we will, but we're going to go slow intentionally to make sure again, that what com- comes out of that factory is the best product that we can produce at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're learning this over and under game. We're learning more about it every day, right? We're improving on the product. We're trying new materials. I mean, not that anything was wrong with the first gun we made in 2015. I'd take the Pepsi challenge with that gun against anything out of the market. <laughs> but, you know, we're Benelli is the type of company where, you know, you, you guys may, may envision companies sitting around a boardroom and, and some engineer comes in and says, you know, if we make this part out of plastic, we can save seven cents per. And you got all these CEO types like, yes, yes, profit margin. Benelli does stuff the exact opposite way, right? We've, we've got those similar meetings and we've got an engineer that comes in, but the conversation goes, you know, if we made this part out of unobtainium, it would cost a dollar more, but it would last forever. And we're like, yeah, let's do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we look to improve the product every chance we get. Yeah, that's fantastic. So in your, you know, your, uh, under your uh, management or your leadership, you're not just working on new products. You've also, I guess you've got multiple life cycles of a product in play at the same time. Is that fair? It is fair. Um, you know, Benelli has a pretty wide uh, catalog of guns, and uh, we've got some in the catalog, like the, the Nova pump shotgun that goes back to 98. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously our Super Black Eagle 328 just launched this year, and, and everywhere in between there we've got products. And you're involved, and, uh, you're involved in, in all of those, right? I mean, not just 100%. Not just what's launching next fall. So you, you've... No. I don't know how a hundred percent. I don't either. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, th- I'll tell you what makes that really hard for, for, for folks like me is, uh, the IT industry, right? <laughs> how you've got a new iPhone every like eight months. Right. And yeah. it's like makes the old one obsolete. Right. You can't operate that way in the firearms industry. Like innovations are fewer and further between, like true innovations, right? Things that actually make a difference. Um, and so our life cycles are incredibly longer than in just about every other industry out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that Benelli Nova that I mentioned a minute ago, we launched it in 1998. Guys, it's still the best pump action shotgun out in the market today. <laughs> no I mean, it's 25 it. years old and, and you, nobody can touch it. I mean, it, it, the durability, the, the function of it, just it's a fantastic gun and I'm a big believer in the old uh, if it's not broke don't fix it and uh and that Nova is not broke so it's not going anywhere um it's it's still plugging along and, and doing just great and and uh you know product updates are inevitable kind of like I mentioned a, a minute ago I'm not going to tell you the the Nova that we're making today is exactly the same as the one we made in 98 because we made some small changes along the way to make it a little bit better. Um, but when it comes to actually like announcing a new, a new version of a gun, like when you go from super black Eagle two to three, right. There's gotta be enough things in there to where it makes sense. 
technology, some innovation, some improvement to the customer. Otherwise, it's just lipstick, right? It's just marketing beyond that. And, and we do great marketing, but we're a product company is what we are. Mm-hmm. So manufacturing is just this wonderful, amazing process. And it's just so cool to see something go from that white sheet of paper to a finished product. What's that, that part for you that just kind of connects the magic of manufacturing with seeing a finished product? I mean, what's your favorite part in the process? It's always when you see the first sample, the very first hand-built sample, that's when you, that's when it kind of says, yeah, this is going to work out, right? Or should be honest, that's not always the case. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, man, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> but but we're, we're pretty good at, at having very few of those. But that's when it really comes together. And, and those hand-built prototypes, you know, the early ones, they're rough, man. I mean, they're, they're, you know, the shapes of the gun aren't there. It's not, it's not smooth. You know, it may not even be a shootable gun, right? It's just when you can see what it looks like and put your hands on it for the first time, that's when light bulbs start to go off and, and, uh, you really, really get excited about it. Do you keep a, um, do you guys keep a, uh, like a museum of, of those hand-built samples? Uh, we do in Urbino. Yes. At the factory. Okay. That's cool. Do you ever get to they have, like, they, go ahead. No, well, they have, they have, uh, a, a nice, uh, I, it's museum act, uh, in the entrance way where it's, I don't know the square footage, but it's a massive entrance way that has hundreds of guns up on the wall. They go up 50 feet high and it's kind of a history of the Benelli shotgun. Uh, and then down in the R and D lab is where we keep all the, all the pan built prototypes and competitive samples and stuff like that. That's so cool. That's, I mean, we, we've got two display cases that are 70 inches long by 21 inches deep. And we, we think that's pretty huge. <laughs> yeah, we try to keep a catalog <laughs> of our prototypes that, uh, that's so neat. Are there any, are there any ideas that you've worked on and gotten to a, um, to the hand built prototype that you, that you had to scrap? Or can you tell us about them? Uh, so I won't, there, there's none that we've had to scrap, but there's some that had to go a different direction. Okay. Um, in that the, the, the concept was valid, but the execution wasn't on point. Hmm. So we had to kind of take a few steps backwards and, and, and change, you know, ultimately you change some of the features and some of the, some of the specifications or innovation that you put in it so that it is more suited for what your target was, right? Because every new product has a targeted customer, a targeted audience, a targeted segment, something. And, uh, you know, engineers are, are really, really amazing folks, um, but sometimes they get a little carried away, like engineering for the sake of engineering. Mm. Um, and uh, so you have to reel that back. But... Uh, there, there, in my, I've been at Benelli since 2005, so roughly 17 years now. And uh, in that time, there has only been two products that got to the prototype phase where we ultimately decided not to do anything with it. Mm. And one of those is still alive. We're just trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, and the other one we don't talk about anymore. <laughs> you know, it takes a lot of guts to stop a project. And I admire people who know, like, you know, 
don't get stuck in the whole sunk cost principle and go, nope, this isn't us. We're not doing it. And Benelli is a, is a great company to work with. Um, they are, they are not scared of investment. They are not scared in technology and, uh, and, and kind of being on the cutting edge of things. And, uh, you know, with that, sometimes, sometimes you go a little too far and they understand that, but, um, we, you know, everything is a team effort. Again, we've got, uh, you know, obviously my product team, uh, is a great resource. We've got roughly 40 sales guys all across the country, walking into dealers, talking to them every day. Great, great data point. We've got a group of dealers, uh, and customers that we use as focus groups to talk about ideas. Um, so we, we back stuff out pretty thoroughly before we, we make a ton of investment in it. But, um, you know, take, take, uh, the best technology, for example. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that or not, Oh yeah. but it's a, it's a, it's a proprietary coding that, that we develop, um, that eliminates, you know, rust and corrosion from, from, uh, all the metal parts on the firearm. Um, that took us roughly eight years, about $3 million and Lord knows how many, uh, failed attempts to get that right. Um, because it's, you know, it's basically a hybrid process of CVD, PECVD process where we purchased these machines and then we disassembled them and rebuilt them to a completely different specification to apply this finish. It's essentially to change the chemical properties of this finish to go at a cold temperature instead of a hot temperature. And, uh, Man, it took a lot of trial and error, but um, you know, at the end, we got it right. It just took a while, and it took a lot of investment, and it took a lot of patience. And you know, what was it, Edison, that says he found a thousand ways to not make a light bulb? Um, you only need to find one way that it works. Well, that's true, right? We did it wrong a lot of ways before we got it right. So that's so fascinating to me, and as a uh, you know, somebody who probably needs to be on Adderall because of my own ADD. I'm, I'm amazed at your ability to um, kind of keep multiple life cycles going at the same time. Do you, you know, from like a, this is more of a you personal and, and your habits um, question than it is a Benelli question, but do you try to allocate certain percentages of your time to just exploring new ideas? I mean, like, how do you, how do you keep up with that from a, personal habit standpoint. Does that make sense? What I'm asking? It, it does make sense. And, uh, I will not, uh, for a moment, uh, say that I'm, I'm, I'm bashful about taking ideas from wherever they may come from. Um, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how many calls per week I take just listening to people like, Oh, you got an idea. All right. Tell me about it. Right. I mean, good ideas can come from anywhere. And, uh, I, I'm certainly not the guy that has all the answers. Um, I can solve lots of problems, but I don't, maybe I'm not asking the right questions. Right. Hmm. Um, so I'll take ideas from anywhere I can get them. Um, and I, I do try to spend a good amount of time talking directly with, with our customers. Right. Cause ultimately that's where the rubber meets the road. Right. Hmm. If you're not, if you're not coming up with something that they need and maybe they don't know about, um, or that they want and it's not available. I mean, you're kind of spinning your wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I rely heavily on talking to customers and, and I do that 
events that I go to through visiting dealers, through NRA show. Obviously, I've got a pretty big network. That and uh, man, I'm not I'm not too proud to take an idea from wherever it may come from. That's a really good word. How do you manage? So, go ahead. I was just going to say I don't really allocate any particular amount of time or any time of the year mm-hmm. to, uh, to to try and grab that stuff. I'm always trying to get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could be having a, a really simple conversation with with a customer at a show. He may never know it, but I'm really asking him questions about new ideas that I may have or mm-hmm. asking him what he thinks about a potential idea that I have in my head. Um, you know, so again, man, I'll take them from anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Do you, um, how many, you mentioned shows and the NRA shows, how many shows do you get the opportunity a year to interact with, um, you know, I guess in consumers? Yeah. You know, the last couple of years have been really tough. As I'm sure you guys know, um, you know, with the whole COVID situation, we had to stop traveling for, for quite some time. And, uh, we're really just getting back on our feet there. Um, like just last week I was, uh, I was at a, a media event. We had 40 different writers from around the industry. We're talking new products. We're shooting guns. Good place where I get ideas from. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a, on a normal year, which we got to go back a few years to see what one of those looks like, but we're traveling usually about a week a month. Um, so 12 different stops per year. Um, and whether that obviously in a ratio counts as one, right. But that holds the same amount of weight to me as, uh, you know, visiting a, uh, a try me shoot down in Stucker, Right. I mean, uh, uh, it, it, the, I don't, I have a handful of events, which I have to do every year, right. In a show, I do the pheasant show every year. Um, shot show. Uh, I've got a, a peer group that I hunt with in Canada every year. Um, outside of those kind of cookie cutter ones, I mix it up, man. I, I, I try to visit every one of our, uh, of the territories in the U S at least once per year, you know, Northeast, Southeast, Midwest, um, South, and then out on the West coast. I try and visit them all at least once a year. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a dealer trying to shoot. Maybe it's a sales promo that they have going on. Um, maybe it's just a whirlwind tour where I just visit 10 dealers in, in, you know, five days and just sitting in the store for a few hours talking to people as they come in. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a smorgasbord of events. I love it. <laughs> That's a never ending process to try to find new ideas no, and to refine others. I mean, it, it, it is, it is a giant, giant, giant time suck. But to me, it's the best part of the job. Huh. Um, be, you know, interacting with the people that, that use our products. And I don't really care if you, well, I, I shouldn't say it. That sounds like I don't care. I really do care. But it doesn't matter to me if you love my product or if you hate my product. Either way, you can tell me something that's going to help me. <laughs> right? Um, and so, I'll, I'll, you know, sometimes the guys that have a problem are the best ones to talk to. Um, cause they, if they have a problem, you can bet they have a solution for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and they probably want to talk about it. <laughs> oh, they love talking about it, and I and I like listening. I, I I will I'll talk to them all, but you know, talking to our people. I mean, these are our people, right? I mean, mm-hmm. these are guys that think like me, they act like me, they have the same interests as me. Um, man, I'll spend all day every day talking to those folks. Yeah. What do you want the next couple of years to look like for Benelli? What are your objectives? <laughs> I uh, I want to I want to catch up on inventory, man. That's our <laughs> biggest issue right now. Is uh, is 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 we just can't supply what people want, and uh, it's not that we can't produce more guns. We can. It's that at some point in time we have to guess what people are going to want and six, eight, 10, 12, 18 months. And we're not guessing very well. Mm. Well, it's, <laughs> and, hard to, uh, it's so, hard to guess for the kind of demand we've experienced all across our industry right now. I mean, geez, nobody saw that coming. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's really, really hard. So I, I hope, I hope people out there that have been waiting a long time to get one of our products, understand that, um, you know, we can make a lot of guns at Benelli. We're, you know, if we, if we plan, uh, 12 months out, we essentially have no capacity, uh, meaning we can invest and get new machines up and running to make double the amount of guns that we have today, triple the amount of guns that we have today. Wow. But we've got to, you know, we've got to make good guesses, right? We've got to make bets. And uh, we've been increasing capacity every year for the last three years, but it hasn't been enough and, and we're still behind. Um, so, you know, that's really would be, would do wonders for our customer service, for our dealers, for our customers out there is to just be able to get the products that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's really one of our company initiatives. Um, you know, and it's not like we just started it today. We've been working it, working this problem for quite some time, but I really want that problem to go away. And, uh, and we can start talking about, um, how to, how to, how to increase awareness about what it is that we're doing, right. About our new products. I mean, you know, it's really tough to, to, to spend a lot of money telling people about, I don't know, a 28 gauge super black Eagle when you can't supply enough of them to the people that want them today. Right. <laughs> sure. Like we're, we're reactive, not proactive. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and you know, this is new, like, you know, for the first 14 years of my career, we were very proactive last few years we've gotten reactive and I want to change that. Right. I want to get back out in front of the ball here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I know, I know it's not really all wheelhouse, but I'm very excited about our bolt action rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to see that sucker really start to dominate the market the way that our shotguns do. Um, the product is there. Um, we just don't have enough people that, that know about it and understand it in that uh, are willing to give us a shot, right? Because we got a great name in shotguns, mm-hmm. but it doesn't always translate directly over to a new segment like bolt-action rifles. Sure. Um, I, I so, wonder if... You know, the, I really want... If I was, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask you, is the buyer of a... You know, the, the ideal buyer of a, of a deer rifle, is he as active of a gun buyer as the, as the average buyer of an SBE-3? Mm. I, I think so. Okay. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, a deer hunter is probably no different than a duck hunter in this regard, right? And they, they want a gun in every color, um, in every caliber to, you know, cause every critter that they hunt, they need a special gun for that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and God bless those people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but uh, <laughs> but I think they're they're very similar and and you know and we have a lot of crossover right if you're a Benelli shotgun guy chances are you're going to give our rifle a, mm-hmm. a run right mm-hmm. um, but as you guys know there's a lot more deer hunters than there are duck hunters in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and so that that means there's a lot of people out there that may not really give a crap about Benelli mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't they've never had to they're not duck hunters. They're just deer hunters. So what do they need a semi-auto shotgun for? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I want to bridge that gap and I want to get that rifle a bit more mainstream. Um, it's performing. I got no problems at all with that. Um, but, uh, we just need to grow that awareness. And, and, you know, I think, I think one of the ways to do that is to let people shoot the gun. So I want to figure out how to do more try me shoot events with that gun, which, you know, circling back to that topic a minute ago, been really bloody hard the last three years. Um, you know, we launched it when you literally can't do try me shoots anywhere. (laughs) Um, so, you know, we'll get there. It's just going to take a little bit of time and, and we're patient. We're in this for the long game. So, uh, those are a couple of my initiatives. Um, obviously I want to go ahead. I'm sorry. Keep going. You keep going. Well, I was going to say, you know, obviously we're, we're always going to have our eyes on the ball, which is semi-auto shotguns, in particular Super Black Eagle 3 or Super Black Eagle 4. Whenever that happens, it will at some point, but can't, I have no idea when that's going to be right now. I honestly don't know. I'm not just making that up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we're not going to, you know, I don't, I, you got a lot of people that are avid duck hunters or waterfowl hunters, and I don't want them to think I'm going to, chase rifles and forget about them. We know who brought us to the dance, right? That was, that was waterfowl hunters. And that's always going to be our a number one objective is to make we're satisfying that market, that our products are the best out in the market that we're innovating, that we're, we're putting new stuff into the portfolio. That's never going to change. I, I kind of take that as a given. Um, it's the other stuff that that's kind of in addition to, right? It's not in mm-hmm. place of. Sure. Sure. No, I get that. Well, we are um, really, really grateful for your time and for your focus. Uh, I've killed a lot of critters with your shotgun, and (laughs) and it's because of your focus and your ability to stay on target and on task, no pun intended, um, and to keep those life cycles going. Um, And, and George, we're just really grateful to be able to fly the Benelli flag over here in in West Tennessee. So um, thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for your time on the podcast as well as, you know, your hard work uh, at Benelli. And uh, pray that you keep it up and experience lots more years of success there uh, because we're we're big fans. Thank you. I, I'm going to do my best and uh, really appreciate you guys inviting me on. Um, sorry yeah. it's the first time after all all these <laughs> years, but uh, – that's okay. I'd We're, be happy to come back anytime if you'll have me. That'd be great. We would Excellent. love to do that. And I'm I'm ashamed I didn't think of it sooner. I you came up in conversation when I was talking to Lori a few weeks ago and I just thought, I can't believe I have not asked George to be on a podcast. Like it's such a duh <laughs> aha moment. But um as I said before, I, I struggle with ADD at the highest level. So uh something <laughs> needs to be screaming at me in, in front of me to get my attention and uh but we we'll make sure that you're not a stranger on the podcast That's in the right. future. So, excellent, excellent. Well, thank you. Yep, thanks a bunch, buddy, and and have a good afternoon and uh, and and safe travels uh, this fall as you as you make your rounds.
Yep. Uh, we're, we're getting back out now for sure. Travel's wide open. I got lots of stuff booked, so Good. hopefully I'll run into you guys in the travel. Yeah. Well, I see you at the Freedom Shoot in October. Is that the right word yeah. for it? Great. Yes, yeah, sir, you will. Good, good. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I booked my ticket the other day, and uh, and I'm I'm really excited about about being there. So, let me ask a real Excellent. real quick question: If anybody wanted yep. to try to find one of these Try Me events or anything along this, is there anywhere that they should go on Benelli Social or their website that they can find more information about where they can put one of these guns in their hands and try them out? You know, it, it would seem incredibly logical that we'd have a place to do that, but we don't. Um, most of these, most of these events are handled, um, by the sales reps in the different states through a dealer, um, in that state. Um, and they know about them. I'm just going to be perfectly honest. They know about them. They plan them a year and ahead ahead of time. We've just been really awful about communicating with them and and accumulating that information Mm -hmm. to, to, to make it available to people. Um, so shame on us for that. You know, a few minutes ago I said how important they are, and then here I am saying so I, I can't tell you where one is. If you weren't making a quality firearm, we'd probably you That's know right. not cut you much slack on the uh, try me event communication. But. <laughs> if anybody asks, I'll just give them your cell phone number, tell them to give you a call, and figure it out. <laughs> I mean, the, probably probably the what would be the best way to figure this out? I um, guess if they reached out directly to their to their local dealer, I mean, their local yeah. dealer yeah. can probably you know, find out what's that, going on in the area. That's really, the, that's probably the, the, the most efficient way to do it would be to, to check in with your local Benelli dealer. Now, right. chances are, you, you know, not every Benelli dealer does primary shoot. Um, it, it's really only, I don't know, maybe a handful in every state that do. So chances are your 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 the customer will walk into a dealer. Hey, do you have a try me shoot? Nope, sure don't. <laughs> Probably the next question would be, well, hey, can you put me in touch with the Benelli rep for this area mm-hmm. who covers you know all the dealers within a hundred miles of here because he knows where it is. That's right. Um, but his information is not always easy to come across. And you know that um, that dealer probably knows who their best customers are and might be able to point that customer to another customer to, you know, that, that could provide some form of a reference or it's a good point there. Yeah. 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 They know each other. You know what? I'm going to, I'm writing down on my to do list, which is pretty massive to be perfectly (laughs) honest, but, but uh, I am going to make a note that um, it's really silly that we don't have a repository. Good ideas can come from anywhere. Even us. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, Well, I, I have really enjoyed the conversation That's very right. much, George, and uh, we we really appreciate all that you do uh, behind the scenes as well as in front of the scenes. So, it's a pleasure. I'm uh, I'm blessed to be able to to work in this industry for a great company and uh, and mingle with folks like you. Um, and uh, I'm very thankful. And anything I can do to help you guys out, you let me know. Thanks, George. We really appreciate it. Have a good afternoon. You too, guys. All right. Thanks. That was awesome. That was really cool. <laughs> I mean, my favorite thing is just about, golly, they're really serious about their R&D and how Gosh. they do things. And you talk about a company that could phone it in. Yep. And not continue yeah. to push quality and not continue to push, like, yep. you know, for as much as we see with maybe 
clothing manufacturers or other brands in the industry go into a plastic or cheaper stitching or just slightly different fabric in areas that get less wear. Like, yep. it's a big deal yep, that they is. push into it. And, and they have genuinely gotten better. Like, I've got, I've got the early, you know, M1, H&Ks. I've got the I've got yeah. the, the – I remember as a young guy when Benelli changed the three-shot shotgun <laughs> game, you know, oh, in, yeah. in duck hunting. And um, Dad and I laugh about it all the time because the first fall that everybody had a super black eagle, you know, um, at Black River on the – night before opening weekend like you could tell who all had one because they were out on the river just on you know the camps are right there facing the river they were all out there shooting skeet as fast as they could <laughs> and so awesome. like all night you know till people were drinking beer and going bam 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 you know bam 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 you know and then you'd hear somebody down the way bam 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 you know and it was like yep that guy's got a new super black <laughs> eagle and, that guy does. and i mean i remember uh, us talking about it and from that time until now yeah they have gotten better I mean, they really genuinely cool. have gotten better, and a lot of things in the world, like you said, have not gotten better. Yeah. Um, and because uh, they're brand, I mean, they're just their name alone would sell shotguns. Yep. yep. And for them to push themselves is very admirable. That's right. That's right. And they could, they could, you know, at a drop of a hat, they could do something that could just skyrocket their profit margin, you know, and mm-hmm. and sacrifice quality. And they 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 really haven't done that. And. Uh, that's what's fun about shooting a Benelli shotgun is like it's a it's a really high quality product and um, you know we're shoot man we're we're blessed to be able to fly the Benelli flag. That's right. So that's right. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Rolling Thunder podcast. Yeah, we'll catch you on the we'll next. We'll see one. you on the next one.